Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Hello, dear listeners of the Mad Scientist podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here this week, joined by a special guest, Mike DeMonte. Mike, how's it going, man? Oh, good, man. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Uh, I remember we've been, I'm trying to, we've been trying to make this work for a while now, ever since I interviewed you for my book, uh, You're in My Book, uh, True Believers. Yeah, man, we, it, it honestly has been, uh, it's been quite a while trying to get this to happen. I'm happy it finally did. It's, um, it's one of those things where like it's such, it's such weird uh, – what's the word? I guess serendipity, although that's a, a, just a ridiculous word. <laughs> but it's hilarious to find out like you know, we're two guys from Staten Island, New York, both in the same kind of music and into the same kind of things. And we're, we're, we're doing stuff in this field. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, really a small world because, I mean, you know, we broke her up in Staten Island, which is a literal dump. And we've uh, yeah. obviously moved on since then to become – fully functioning, successful adults, which is uh, yeah. impressive on our <laughs> so. it's, I'm, I'm telling you, man, we made it. We made it out of our mom's basements. It's the, <laughs> uh, you know, we got out of the Staten Island curse. It's it's so funny. When I, um, when I first, like, started doing UFO stuff, you know, with the show and then with MUFON, I, I got a message actually from a guy that I used to be um, – we used to like, like my band used to play, you know, punk rock shows and stuff around Staten Island and whatever. And a guy that was a singer in another one of the bands that was like, you know, our band was, was a ska band. It was pretty like not hardcore. You know what I mean? Um, and this guy's fans were like, you know, the really hardcore of the punk kids and stuff. And he was like, oh shit, I love UFOs too, man. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. It's pretty funny. Um, so, Mike, why don't you quickly just tell listeners a little bit about your uh, about your background? Um, so, my professional background, um, I previously used to work at the Houston Chronicle uh, slash First Media um, full-time, doing copy editing, web producing, writing, uh, reporting, feature sports, um, working on the copy desk, the website, you name it. I basically did everything there. Um, and then I transitioned into education after that. Um, I still do some writing for the Chronicle. I do a little media blog for them. But my uh, in the past seven years, I've been teaching journalism and English and creative writing uh, here in Houston. And, um, yeah, that's my kind of professional background. But I've been involved uh, in this subject ever since I was a kid. I was really interested in it. And um, I think probably I forgot when it was, but when I wrote my first book, um, which was about punk rock and UFOs, cryptozoology meets anarchy, that's when I really started to uh, kind of dig deep into the subject when I started doing my first book. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's super cool. So currently, currently you have two books out there on the market. You got punk rock and UFOs, cryptozoology meets anarchy, and then punk rock and UFOs, true believers. Uh, listeners, go check them out. They're uh, they're really cool, really cool books. And it's just awesome, too, to, like, support. I don't know. I feel like UFOs feels like a subject where – I don't know if you get this feeling, but it, it seems like, you know, the same stories get retread all the time. Yeah. So, you know, there's, like, a million books out there about Roswell. <laughs> and they all basically give the same story, but there's just a little bit of difference there. But I feel like you're actually producing some really unique stuff. Uh, which is great, right? And which is a, what originally originally drew me to wanting to have you on the show, right? Was the stuff that you had on punkrockandufos.com, uh, your website, right? Yeah, no, thank you. Absolutely. And that's something I wanted to do. I wanted to do something different. I wanted, I didn't want to cover the same stuff everyone was covering. I wanted to do kind of more featurey things. Um, you know, also, you know, in the, in the Punk Rock and UFOs True Believers, the book, one of the things that I investigated was who are these people who are into this? Because I thought this was fascinating because when I first started getting involved with you, I started to meet everyone who researched it, and they all, always had really good stories as well. So, you know, I thought part of the, the phenomenon is actually the people who investigated too. So that's something that's part of uh, True Believers, and it's also something that's on the website. Every once in a while, I'll 
I'll do a, like a feature or, or bio on, on a researcher or, or someone involved in the field. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, it's yeah the people the people involved in this are uh, they're pretty interesting. Some of yeah. them are pretty interesting. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit. It's 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 something else. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many. Have you gone to like a MUFON meeting yet or anything like that? Or have you just kind of been mostly, you know, uh, kind of uh, what's the word like conventions and stuff? Um, so honestly, I've been basically in terms of researching, I've done a lot of my stuff, you know, over the phone, you know, interviewing sure. one person. I haven't really done any festivals or MUFON meetings. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I was gravitated towards interviewing you because I was never a big MUFON guy. Um, I was never a big fan of them. I thought it was cool how they were, you know, they had to have their database and, you know, there's an organization collecting work, but I saw there was a lot of structural things that I thought that was kind of wrong with them. Yeah. Um, and then you came in and you're kind of like a, a breath of fresh air. I was like, Oh, this guy's legit. And then when you left, you know, you obviously left for the right reasons. Cause I think I have my opinions on MUFON, not, not the, not the, the researchers who work for them, but the organization as a whole. So I usually try to stay clear of those types of meetings. But I mean, I've interviewed people, been involved with it. People go to those meetings and I have respect for those people. It's just, I'd rather, you know, for me, um, I just kind of do, do my best work when I'm kind of doing it on my own. Sure. Yeah. No, man, I hear you. What's, um, what's been really interesting actually has been with, the MUFON stuff, right? People don't, it's part of the Bigelow story actually that we're covering obviously this, this month, you know, part of the story with Bigelow and with like, you know, Pudoff and um, John Alexander and these people that would go on to do other things that people don't realize, or maybe don't, don't know because they haven't been involved in the fields or looked into the history so much, right. Is all the scandals that surrounded like, you know, the, one of the reasons that MUFON lost so many members in the, in the nineties, in like the, the I should say the early 2000s and then even today was because of scandals like say the Carpenter affair where Bigelow was buying um, you know what was thought to be private information from abductees uh, given to to you know psychiatrists or not psychiatrists but hypnotherapists right therapists um, that Bigelow and Nids was buying those cases right um, and then the later scandals where you know, Bigelow was supposedly buying uh, pieces of material that came from UFOs, uh, buying cases again with the star team, right? Um, that to me is a really fascinating part of this. And it, it just, it's so, it's so interesting, the continuation of this scandals at groups like MUFON and even at these other groups where it just has, you know, again, the players never change. They just kind of get moved around, interestingly. And, um, it makes for some weird stuff, man. The UFO subject is just, I don't know. A lot of these people should have biographies written on them, in my opinion. Uh, oh, chief amongst them, Bigelow, because, <laughs> you know, he's he's had his finger in every single one of these pies. And it's like trying to get information on him. It's been, it's honestly been like trying to investigate a ghost. It's There's nothing out there um, besides the little scraps that you can pick up. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a famous... Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the MIT conference that happened in 92, right? Which was a big UFO conference where, you know, scientists and people got involved in whatever. Um, Bigelow funded that entire thing. And in the book about the conference, his name is mentioned two times. <laughs> it's like, he's, he's the guy, he's the main guy that did it. You know, how is he not mentioned more? And then, oh my God, it's so frustrating. Anyways. All right. We didn't, we didn't want to just talk about Bigelow here. I want to hear, in your opinion, so obviously we have differing opinions on To the Stars Academy. Yes, I would say I would say that that is an accurate assessment of of that, right? From you know, my listeners get a lot of the I don't know uh, more skeptical or more critical side. Let's say I don't know more skeptical. I don't think that's accurate because I think you you have a skeptical eye for this stuff as well, but. You know, from I, I wanted to give them an I wanted to give them a chance to hear the pro side too. You know what I mean? Because honestly, um, I don't know if it's really been articulated very, uh, very well on any particular uh, podcast before or in any kind of format where you know there's blogs and stuff and there are places that do this. But a lot of the fighting, frankly, seems to happen on Twitter. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is really good for conversation. You know, it's just really good for discourse generally. I mean, so, I, get a, I get a kick out of even the arguments I'm not involved in, you know, I get a kick out of reading, oh you know, God. everyone else's too. So it's kind of like, 
Yeah, like when people like when you're in high school, like when you're a kid, you see kids fight, and you're like, "Ooh, I'm gonna go watch rather break it up." It's kind of like that that same thing, right? Yeah, I know. And it, my wife, my wife now will, you know, I'll be on my phone, and she'll see me getting, you know, my face will be, uh, you know, my, my ears will have steam coming from them, right? And she's like, "What? What are you doing? Are you messaging someone about aliens again?" And I'm like, "No, I'm not. I swear, I'm not." Um, why don't you tell us how did you first off how did you get interested in this subject in the first place did you have a weird experience um so yeah i did um i was interested before that um as a kid i used to get to collect these time life books that my mom used to get from me because i used to love reading and uh each month was like a new series and every month was like something that was like you know it was it bordered the line between reality and fiction it was like strange places unexplained phenomena mythical creatures ufos yep and to me, like, I was like, this is so cool. Like, this is like, you know, everything that I was into at the time, only, you know, there was a hint of truth somewhere in there. Um, so at a young age, I read those books and I was really, you know, super fascinated with the subject. And I had my own sighting um, in Houston. I saw some colored orbs um, kind of going around, moving in these crazy ways. And um, not too long after that, that's when I started to research stuff myself and write my book. And I'm a firm believer um, that m- many people who study this topic, it stems from an experience, whether it's a sighting, an abduction, something. I don't, most of us don't just, I'm not saying everyone, I'm just saying majority of people are usually interested in this because something, there's a spark. Yeah, no, man, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, even my own interest, actually, it's funny, my own interest stems from an experience I had as a kid or a couple experiences as a kid that uh, now... I can actually attribute to a medical, you know, kind of a medical issue, but weird experiences like this totally run in my family. You know, I think that has more to do with the fact that like, kind of like pug dogs or airways don't seem to operate all that well. (laughs) So, you know, like sleep apnea runs in the family, but you know, it's interesting nonetheless. Um, So when you first, I guess, so uh, when you first heard about to the stars Academy, Right. I had I had I can tell you from my own experience when I first heard about it, it was a couple of months before it became really big, you know, before the New York Times story came out. Um, and I heard about them because of MUFON, because I was I was with MUFON and and Jan, the head of MUFON, was meeting with Tom and, you know, um, it seemed like we might be able to do something really cool. And I was like, oh, my God, this group's doing something awesome. Let's try to get involved somehow. You know, um, that would seem like a great idea or a great option to me. Uh, for you, how did you – I can only imagine you were excited when it first started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've obviously been a follower and a fan of uh, Tom's music for years. I mean, Blink was kind of the band that, you know, I kind of grew up on and got me into, you know, punk rock and, like, the lifestyle and – you know, I don't, I don't mean to sound cheesy, but it was like kind of one of those like aha moments, you know? Sure. Um, so obviously I followed his career very closely before this. I've interviewed him before. Um, I've met him a f- few times. He never remembers, but it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but um, no, so I obviously, you know, I followed his music and someone who's followed his career and has interviewed him. I kind of know um, his perspective, kind of like, you know, I kind of know the person he is. And uh, I will say that he's not somebody who's out there to, you know, fraud anyone or, um, you know, his intentions are real, you know, uh, he's a good dude and he's trying to, you know, do what's best, you know, in terms of this community. Um, so yeah. I don't think anyone should ever doubt his, um, integrity on it. Um, yeah, sometimes he, he, he says things he probably shouldn't. Absolutely. Um, but I think, I mean, he's not somebody you should doubt because people have been telling him for years, you shouldn't be doing this, this, and this. And he, he goes, he ends up doing him anyway. So, uh, I always just tell people, you know, you also have to have faith and be patient because he's not somebody who gets something done in a quick time. Everything takes a while, even like his music. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I actually, I have the same feeling about Tom. I don't think Tom is, I think Tom is in this for the right reasons. You know, I've always thought that I think he's uh, I think he believes what he's saying and I think that he's interested and I think he really thinks that he's doing something good. And, I, you know, uh, for me, the challenge was always the people around him. You know what I mean? It was always um, the inclusion of these people from the Bigelow Nids team and um, 
you know, folks like that. Like if it was just Tom and Elizondo, I'd be, I'd be totally on board with it. You know what I mean? That's interesting. Cause like most people have the opposite thing. Everyone's like, you know what I mean? Have the opposite viewpoint of view. Yeah. That. And I wonder, yeah. I wonder how much of that, I wonder how much of that comes from people not knowing the history, Yeah, you know, not knowing that UFO kind of history that exists there about those people or, you know, um, like, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever heard of the aviary, um, or the UFO working group, but this, that's like a long running, um, it's a long running storyline in the UFO mythos that, you know, they were involved like, like Pudoff and John Alexander and the other people on the NIDS team and what would eventually become the NIDS team, um, were essentially involved in the Paul Benowitz affair where they were being paid by the government to, to provide disinformation to the UFO community. Right. Yeah. No, I, I remember, that, he, I remember hearing that. I just didn't. Um, really buy into 100, percent you know, the validity of how Putha being involved. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Well, it's a crazy, it's a crazy story. Like, like with all of this, right? Yeah, it's an I, insane story. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all nutso, right? It's just so, it's just so fascinating to me to think that there's kind of this. I don't know. For me, the stuff that's been interesting, you know, the, uh, to me, it, it, I always separate between the stuff that UFO. Like the UFO mythology that exists and then the people on the ground who actually have said that they've seen something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's to me, it's important to separate those two things. It's just kind of it's really interesting to me that these kind of competing um, mythologies start to exist, you know, where on the one hand, you have people who are like, no, these have been good people their entire career doing this stuff who want to find the truth. And on the other hand, there's a whole other group of people who think. No, these are these are black hats doing the wrong thing, providing disinformation. Um, that that's what they've done with their career. It's so odd that that can happen in the same sphere, and it's also odd to me, actually, in a way that it's that seems that divide seems to have happened along almost like age lines, yeah. right? You have the young, you know, you have younger people who, I think, young people who are getting into this, on the whole, generally really like To the Stars Academy. And I think, frankly, it's because the the old guard has had a chance this entire, you know, they've had the subject for like 50 years, (laughs) you know. Um, So it's like, yeah, hell yeah. If Tom wants to get involved, let's, you know, let's see what he can do. Um, And on the other hand, you have the old guard who's like, you know, who thinks, well, we've worked with those other people, though, and we know that they can't be trusted. It's a really weird dichotomy going on right now. Oh, no, absolutely. And I definitely get the skepticism at first. I, I see that. Um, which, well, then the question is, well, what's different now? Um, I just find, like, I made this point the other day, like, I, I find it hard to believe that, uh, Elizondo, Sammy Van, Justice, all these guys would leave their high profile jobs, um, high paying jobs, the security associated with those, um, to, to just create this giant disinformation campaign and fraud people. I'm pretty sure that's not what they're doing. Um, regardless, regardless of their past, because like anyone who's in any of those positions that they previously had, I guarantee you there's some sketch stuff on their records, you know? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, well, that's, yeah, that's the other part of this too. A lot of it feels like a lot of it feels like people um, picking and choosing what parts of someone res- what parts of someone's resume or past to care about. Yeah. Right. Like with like with Putoff, right? People who think that he is uh, not a good actor in all of this will point to, you know, will point to whatever conspiracy theory stuff, the aviary, all that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But they won't point to, well, this is a guy whose entire career has been built on this stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he, who like started, you know, yeah, put his name on the line at the very beginning of his career to do uh, psychic research. So it's kind of it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird situation again. Um, what what do you think you because now you've been involved in this field for a little while now? What do you think can be done to make that divide better, if anything? Yeah, you know, it, it's really hard because I was talking to I was on a Dave Scott show about this, and we were talking about how his beef with them, and I agree to the extent is that they've really ignored a lot of the UFO community in the in the quote unquote alternative media. Um. And I think they could do a better job of extending the olive branch. But I also under, it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, you know, there's this party going on, right? And all the cool kids are there. You want to be invited to that party. 
and you're not. <laughs> so like you could be old and jaded and be like, well, you know, screw those guys. I'm going to do my own party. Or you say, you know what? What they're doing in that party, actually, there may be a reason why we're not included. Let's wait it out and see. Rather being bitter about it, you know? Uh, yeah. Like, you know, it's like we would all love a piece of the pie. You know, if, they, if, they, if they're doing everything that they, they say they're doing, we'd love for, you know, to, um, you know, have a play in it. Obviously, you know, like you said, they talked to MUFON and they, they considered other, uh, you know, before starting the academy, they consider all these routes and they're going the routes they're going for whatever reason. Um, I, I get, you know, people say, well, they're trying to control the narrative. That's why they're choosing certain outlets, um, certain press outlets to go to. And yeah, I can see that point too, because like I said, I've, I've interviewed Tom in the past. I've had a, a good relationship with his people and I can't get an interview anymore. Um, right. uh, the, when they were in Austin, I went to the show, I tried, I tried to get an interview and I was told he's not doing interviews this tour. Well, that next thing you know, weeks later, the New York times runs a, a piece on him. So mm-hmm. it, they're obviously very selective and I deep down, I know they're supportive of what the UFO community does. Like I was, so I went to the Angels Airwaves show in Austin just two weeks ago. And um, before the show, uh, I went to like the meet and greet. I talked to Tom. I gave him my book. And, uh, you know, he, he's like, he saw Punk Rock and UFOs. So like he didn't recognize me or the name, even though he's like seen my work before. But he wanted to talk about bad religion. So it was kind of funny. I was like, oh, yeah, bad religion had, had a, he used to have a T-shirt with like a UFO on it. So it's like, you know, I, I think they're, they, they appreciate it. Like at that show, uh, Steve Justice was there too, just like in the crowd. And um, myself and uh, a guy named Jared, uh, you probably know him on Twitter, uh, Vegan Ron Swanson is his name, High Strangeness. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. We went up to see Justice and we talked to him. And he was really cool, really nice guy. And I told him, hey, look, you know, I'm I support of what you all do. I'm not an investor because as a journalist, that would be a conflict of interest. But, you know, th- there are people in the FU community who do support you guys. And he was very appreciative of that. Um, and he very humble. He was like, first of all, I think he was surprised that people – knew who he was, you know, in the crowd. Um, but, you know, I, I just got a, a good vibe from that very brief conversation with Steve. Yeah, it's funny, actually. The Some of the first stories I heard about Luis Elizondo actually were from former uh, military folks who were experiencers who we had been talking to and, you know, either to hear their stories or just to kind of get to know them, right, just become friends. And they would tell us, you know, hey, you know, we saw Elizondo at a conference, like a UFO event or whatever, and we went and talked to him and he was super cool. And he, you know, was really interested in hearing our stories because we're ex-military. You know, like, again, I, for me, um, it's actually funny. I I think one of the best decisions they ever made was not working with MUFON. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) And staying, staying as far away from those people as possible. You know, a career move I wish that I had also done, uh, frankly. But, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, I I wonder – so for, for me, and I think for a lot of people too, actually, the big concern with uh, To The Stars Academy and the concern with Bigelow Aerospace, frankly, has been the drive to commercialize space. Hmm. I don't – I don't – think uh, listen i don't honestly think that to the stars academy is going to build a rocket ship i, I think you that's know? a very lofty lofty goal yeah, for sure exactly, right and i and i think anyone who honestly believes that they're going to crack uh alien technology and everything else you know i i think that's a little bit uh putting the cart before the horse you know the thing i always tell people even you know we we were at ufo or alien con rather and there was a booth set up where these people were selling an anti-gravity plan or something and you could invest and they were going to do tests and everything else. You know, and in my mind, the, the thing that I always find so funny with that is, well, you're surrounded by booths that are telling us that we don't even have a good photo of a UFO yet. And you're going to tell me how their engine works. <laughs> you know, like we don't we don't even we can't even decide what color gray skin they have, you know. <laughs> Or whatever the hell, if they have skin, if they're even physical beings, um, you know, uh, but anyways, but for me, it's always been about, or one of my big concerns, I know this is true of my co-host Marie as well. It's been about, you know, Bigelow giving these, these interviews where he says, you know, NASA has the wrong idea. NASA thinks that if you go out into space, space belongs to the taxpayer. 
but that's not true. Space belongs to whoever gets there first, right? That's very concerning to me that some guy, some uh, billionaire could get out to space and decide that the resources of space belong to him. Well, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think the idea of billionaires trying to privatize everything is definitely a fear we should have for everything. Um, I I think the idea of him trying to profit off of space, here's the thing, that may eventually lead to wars one day over whose property it is. Um, well, it's the it's the storyline to freaking Alien, right? Wayland Court, <laughs> man. It's like we know how this story ends, but that's one thing that I I kind of wonder with with To the Stars Academy, right? If they did, let, let's say this meta material, right? And my listeners know how I feel about this. You know, you know how I feel about this, whatever. But let's just let's just suppose for a moment that it is actually a piece of alien tech, and through its analysis, they discover anti gravity technology. Do they have an ethical responsibility then to that that opens up if they have anti-gravity technology that would in theory open up energy to the masses right energy would become freely available in some ways we would we would say you know the reason that energy is limited right now to the methods that we have is because the the best and most efficient way to convert mechanical energy to electrical energy is by a generator you know, it's it's magnetism. If they discover a way to convert uh, some kind of energy into gravitational energy or potential energy, that would open up an entire new paradigm in energy generation methodologies. Yeah. If they did discover that, do they have an ethical responsibility in your mind to open it up to the public? Well, I think that's why one of the re- like if you if you listen to one of the the earliest videos that they put out and. Uh, press conferences, you know, they said this is technology or what they want to do could potentially change kind of the future and how we, you know, how we operate and do things. So I definitely think that's something that's not something that they're going to hold on to themselves. I think eventually um, it will be dispersed. I mean, who knows if they can even crack it, first of all. But Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If, if they have that opportunity. So like, I want to go backwards for a second. This is I'm not sure you believe in, in the story or not, but one of my favorite cases is. Um, Philip Corso's book, uh, The Day After Roswell. Um, yep. And if, if your viewers, listeners aren't too familiar, basically Philip Coswell is someone who claims to be an ex-Pentagon official, and he says in his book his job was to take crashed Roswell tech and disseminate it to companies for them to uh, figure out what it is and how to reverse engineer it. And according to that book, that's why we have such a spike in technology around that era. Um, I think Two the Stars is doing the same thing, uh, only – uh, they're they're going to be the ones if if to the academy eventually grows large enough to actually start producing the stuff, or it could be kind of do what um, what Corso originally did, then disseminate and sell I guess the rights to this to Bigelow or or whoever, and as long as that's being used for good rather bad, you know I, I understand the ethical argument of it, but if let's say if this if this can crack the code of clean energy for everyone for free, I think that's a great thing. Um, at some point, no matter who discovers it, somebody's going to try to profit off of it at some point. So, uh, who knows, you know, if it's, if, even if it's them creating, you know, just getting a patent on it and just selling, you know, getting it out there. And then eventually years down the line, some asshole steps in and tries to charge us for it, you know, but I, I think they're not looking that far ahead. I think they're just looking, um, let's see, let's see if we can, you know, uh, get to the bottom of this, and then maybe, maybe light years from now, we'll, we'll build that spaceship that we uh, we posted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you do you think so? I have spoke. This I think is one of the most interesting parts of this story. Is there are I would say the majority of, I guess what I would consider to be traditional UFO researchers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply believe that Bigelow is involved in To The Stars Academy, uh, right? Because it's, you know, it would be 
it would be like the change of a lifetime for Pudoff to be involved in something and not have Bigelow be involved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's basically been his career this entire time. And other folks are there too, right? Like, you know, uh, Eric Davis. I mean, obviously he might as well just be an extension of Pudoff. You know, they work for the same, they work for the same earth, you know, their same company and everything else. And they've been kind of a duo since, uh, since pre nids even, but you know, do you think Bigelow is involved into the Stars Academy? Uh, I'm not sure, but I know that there is meetings, um, and this is this is documented. This isn't hearsay. Uh, yeah. Tom was at Bigelow Airspace. Blair Bigelow, um, uh, Robert Bigelow's daughter. They were all in a photo. It was Blair Bigelow, Tom, and uh, and Lou Elizondo. So they were obviously there. Yeah. They obviously had meetings. And you know what? Bigelow Airspace just could very well could be one of those companies that they're they're talking about that they're in communication with. Um, right. Yeah. So, so just, just to, just quick, not to nitpick yeah. or anything. Blair, Blair for listeners is raw is Bigelow's granddaughter. granddaughter. I'm Rod's sorry. Granddaughter. Mom. Sorry. Yeah. No, no worries. No worries. No worries. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Right. That is documented. We know that they at least met, you know, uh, to me, it seems like he, to me, you know, when this, when this first started coming out with two, the stars Academy, the reason actually I was mostly excited or interested was because I was like, finally another rich guy <laughs> to make big, to, to dilute Bigelow's influence. You know, I was like, that's great. A source of money in this field that isn't Robert Bigelow. But now that may not be the case. Not, yeah, exactly. Right. And that, and, and, and right away then when Pudoff got on board, I was like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah, it was like here we go again. Well, um, like you, you saw, you saw what they, what Bigel Airspace tweeted the other day. I mean, you obviously sure did. Yeah. And I thought the timing of that was interesting. Well, and that's the thing too, right? With the release of, like, say, the Wilson docs, even I, I was kind of thinking. So you know, people assume that the Nid story. People assume just from what they've heard with, with uh, you know, Hunt for the Skinwalker and documentaries and whatever that Nids ended amicably. But that's not really the case, right? Nids broke up uh, with a lot of their science, a, a lot. Some of their researchers coming away from it being very frustrated that they really didn't do anything. You know, they just kind of hung out. There was no direction, all that kind of stuff, right? We have, uh, you know, letters from scientists to researchers saying as much, um, you know, whatever. And then the, the group kind of split away. And the ones that remained on board um, a lot of them eventually went to the Stars Academy. To me, it's really interesting that – so what I originally thought was maybe this was actually a true schism, that the ones that were you know, tired of Bigelow went to To the Stars and then Bigelow was still doing his own thing and that maybe someone within that other group was releasing documents to make To the Stars Academy look bad, you know, like the Wilson doc, like whatever – but now with the Bigelow orb video, it's kind you know, there, there was always two ways, right? I knew Bigelow was involved somehow. I just didn't know if I believed that he was involved as a kind of silent, you know, promoter or whatever, or someone they're just working with or talking to whatever, or if he was actually, you know, just not part of it on purpose. Now I kind of think maybe there still is that second group releasing documents and stuff to make them look or, or make them scramble right to, re to respond to these kind of documents and things. But I don't necessarily know if Bigelow is a part of it anymore or, or that he ever was. I almost now wonder if maybe those are some of those disgruntled, uh, you know, researchers or whatever. Here's an idea that I just want to float. You know, there's no basis to this, but, you know, what if they released that tweet with that or video? Let's say they're not working with To The Stars, but what if they're, you know, it's, it's almost like friendly competition. What if, you know, they see what To The Stars is doing. They know that they've had, you know, Bigelow Airspace has some former, you know, colleagues who now work there. And what if Bigelow Airspace has some stuff up their sleeve too? And they're, they sent out that tweet as a tease saying, hey, you know what? We have something too. Yeah. I mean, kind of, I just, you know, this is funny to make this comparison because I was, you know, I was just watching wrestling documentaries. <laughs> and, you know, it's like you're back in the day in wrestling at the Monday Night Wars, WWE versus WCW. It was like a big thing. What if you have something like that with like to the stars with big old airspace? Like that could be kind of cool, like potentially, you know, <laughs> high profile companies fighting over, you know, kind of over the same thing. And, you know, what, what, what if potentially that could be happening? Oh man. And so then who, who, what is Steven, uh, 
Stephen Greer's group is NWO then? Stephen Greer's group is like ECW, I guess. <laughs> ECW, yeah, there we go. He's, you know, the one, uh, what's it? The ones uh, throwing tax on each other. And and, you know, the, they them. were basically led by yeah, somebody man. who was like a cult-like leader with Paul Heyman. So there you go. Oh, badass, dude. Now I'm into <laughs> it again. This is great news. But, uh, you know, one, so one thing, one thing that I've, um, I've been interested in, or one thing that I think has been a really interesting part of this whole story has been the response to, the response of the older parts of the UFO community to kind of the, to the star story, you know, is it's really been kind of fascinating. And I think part of it is because the UFO community has had a really, you know, if there's one thing the UFO community is really good at doing, I think it's compartmentalizing. And, you know, you, you know, I don't agree with MUFON's leadership, but I would still consider a lot of MUFON members to be friends and even some local chapters to be, uh, places that I would be willing to like go hang out and speak and do research with because I know how little it actually means to be part of move on <laughs> you know, like being, you know, it's, it's like being part of, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's, you know, it, it's a very loose organization, right? It's like working at a McDonald's almost like, you know, the individual cashier is not exactly, you know, affected by the decisions of the overall McDonald's board. Um, in any necessarily significant way. Uh, but, you know, they're just kind of licensing the name, right? So whatever. But anyways, one of the um, one of the interesting things has been this idea that uh, part of their careful media uh, work, because part of To The Stars Academy's careful media work, uh, seems to have been or seems to be bringing on board journalists and people into their fold, Right. So, for instance, like Brian Bender or Leslie Keen, Leslie Keen or George Knapp, you know, Keen and, and or Knapp, at least we can say for certain, who's who's been, you know, who's had research work done with and through Bigelow in the past. Um, their involvement has also been a part of this where people think, well, look, Bigelow must be involved or they are doing a similar kind of thing that Bigelow did with them. Right. But a part of this that's come out too, or part of the idea here is that there might there might be, or there's this theory out there, there's this uh, kind of idea that perhaps To The Stars Academy also has a street team, right, of people who are, um, I don't know, promoting it or, or trying to get the stories out there or trying to push it. What do you what do you think about that? Do you uh, think absolutely. it's bullshit? Um, because I know how small the operation yeah. actually is. Um, it's it's So when To The Stars first started, before the Academy, it spawned off of some of Tom DeLonge's other companies, which was Really Likeable People, which owned Macbeth Footwear, which was his shoe line. And that, that this was basically before To The Stars even formed. Even back then, it was Tom, his sister, his assistant, and very few people. Like Back in the day when I went to San Diego, I toured the Macbeth studio. I actually met one of the Macbeth guys um, at South by Southwest. And he's like, hey, man, if you're ever in San Diego, I'll take, I'll t- I'll take you for the office. And it was very, very small. You know, there's like an arts department. There's a little studio where, you know, Angels and Airwaves would record, but like very small operation. Um, he had one publicist. And to this day, even with the Academy, it's still, it's the, basically it's those same people. Um, when I was at the Austin show, actually some of those people flew up for it. Uh, Tom's assistant was there, um, assistant slash secretary. And uh, I talked to her for a few minutes because uh, we have, we have a mutual friend, um, his old publicist, um, so it's still, you know, the same people, Tom's sisters, uh, his manager, she's manages the company as well. So it's a very, very small operation. And this idea that, you know, they're able, first of all, they're, he's constantly changing publicists too. So if, if they had this giant PR team, people think that are secretly trying to influence journalists and have a straight team. I think that's lost on me. Right. George Knapp and Wesley Keen. I don't think they have, you know, this access that everyone thinks they do. Um, Yes, obviously they know people involved into the stars, and um, you know New York Times did you know do the stories. And when I spoke to Ralph Blumenthal, who's one of the authors of the first, um, well, actually the first two big stories they did, and one of the questions he said is like, "Look, our work was independent of to the stars. We obviously knew what they were doing, but we did our own reporting and research on our own." And I think that's a myth that a lot of people think that just because there are certain journal high profile journalists that you know, go on record, um, kind of supporting them. I don't think that means that those journalists are, are bought and paid for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, the way, 
it's actually really funny. I think it's very similar to uh, Bigelow Aerospace, actually, in this way, where there's this idea that Bigelow Aerospace is this really big, high-tech company. And then you read interviews and you find out that Bigelow doesn't even have a computer. <laughs> you know, he doesn't use a computer. He yeah. uses a phone, you know, a dial-up phone still to do his business. And it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe this isn't as technical, you know, maybe this isn't as tech-savvy as I thought it was. Um, you, you know, I honestly think it's, it is funny, you know, one of the things that I um, – one of the things that I always point out when people bring this up to me is – just go on Twitter and see the way that people respond to these stories yeah. differently. You know, like the, the Wilson docs was the perfect example. You had some people saying, Oh my God, this proves the autopsy document. You know, the autopsy video was yeah. real again. And then you had people being like, that's insane. And then you had people saying, well, I don't know what's, you know, and it's like, I, you know, there, this much confusion would not have happened. If that had been, if that had yeah, been like the a, case. A lot of those like device um, documents, I, I, I always find like a middle ground. I'm like, wow, this is interesting, period. Like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's <laughs> – No, absolutely, right? One of the best um, – what's the word? You know, the, the quote that we always talk about, we always say this on the show, right, from Socrates. The only thing – the only reason Socrates was the wisest man in Athens was because he, he knew that he didn't know anything. <laughs> That is one of the most important things that any of us, especially in stuff, especially interested in stuff like this. It's one of the most important things you can you can do is stay humble and stay. Uh, what's the word? I don't know, man. Stay stay having fun with it too. Like this is fun. It should be cool as hell. What? Just as a kind of you know, some of the last stuff here as we uh, finish up. If you had to pick, if if you were talking to somebody, they don't they don't believe in this stuff. Let's say. And you had to give them one book or one documentary, one piece of media to listen to or to consume, or just even a case, one case to look at that you think is is you know one of the best cases. Oh man, that's a really be. tough question. Um, what, was, I know that's what we asked. It was a book. Possible. I gave them punk rock and UFOs, true believers. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I'm nice. joking. I'm not gonna stop myself. Um, honestly, you know. It, one of the things I did mention in my book is, you know, there's obviously a divide with the UFO community, but there's also a divide between UFO community and basically kind of like the common populace, right? How do we get these people interested in yeah. the subject? So if I was to introduce someone to a book that I think even a skeptic may um, read it and kind of maybe second guess their beliefs, I would give them The Day After Roswell, the book by uh, Phil Corso, just because, um, you know, it really, it almost feels like you're reading like a government thriller, you know, but it's, sure. it's, that's what it feels like. But I think there's definitely credible. It, it's, I think he's credible. Um, and, and part of that is me being a journalist. You know, when you're involved in journalism, a lot of times you trust titles, right? People, uh, titles of authority, government figures is a credible source because their titles lend that. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, these people are infallible of, you know, of anything. No, absolutely not. But them as a source is a good source. Sure. So I, w- I would point people to that book just because it's a really fascinating story where you, you, people can draw their own, you know, uh, decisions. And look, you know what? You know, there there was this hike in technology from this period to this period. Maybe it was from this crash material, and maybe this guy did disperse this to private corporations and companies. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's a pretty good book. It's it's not you know quote unquote too far out there in terms of. Uh, you know, because I, I know in this field a lot of the a lot of the stuff I read is a lot of the quote unquote weirder stuff. Um, I really like the consciousness and the spirituality aspect of it as well. And the, the, the mythology parts of it too. Um, but I think for the average person that may not fly, you know, I think you may have to kind of start them off with something a little more nuts and bolts. Right. So actually that's, that actually leads me perfectly to my next question, which is on that divide between kind of the materialist and the metaphysical, let's say side, where do you find yourself? Do you tend to believe the more metaphysical side or do you think that this is, do you think if a, if a, do you think we could ever get a crashed ship? Do you think that this is a material uh, thing? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a material thing, but I also think the older I get, the more I tend to think that the reason why we haven't cracked all these codes is because our thinking is wrong. Uh, and this, you know, traditional science is great and, you know, it gives us everything we have, but 
I think the people that are breaking free from that traditional science, that's the, the areas you need to go. And I know there's been, you know, some CIA work and everything kind of done in the past, like, you know, really, you know, secretive, but I think that's the type of direction we need to be going is, you know, I really believe in it. And this, is gonna, this sounds crazy to a lot of people, especially someone who's um, very logically, uh, <laughs> logically minded like you are, but I really think, you know, the more I read and the more, um, I draw my own conclusions. I really think that the key is in us. I think our consciousness plays a huge role in this. And I think that if we could tap into these abilities that are already in our brain and in our bodies, that we may be able to discover some of these uh, mysteries and crack these codes that could help better humanity. Absolutely. And I, I know that's um, probably not, that's not the easiest point to make to the average person too. Well, you know, what's funny actually is I almost think that it is, I almost think that it might be easier in some weird way, I, because, well, let me, let me step back here quickly. Right. So we, one of the things I think, one of the parts of this, I think is really important that we don't really talk about all that often is just how easily your brain is tricked into thinking things and seeing things. And, um, and that doesn't, that doesn't say anything about the reality of the event itself, you know, but people are wrong about their perceptions and memories all the time. I mean, you can get mugged by a guy with a scar over the eye and, you know, a hook for a hand and stuff. And you might remember it as some guy without anything yeah. on his, you know what I mean? You're, you just, you just misremember things. And especially in moments of trauma, which any kind of experience like this would almost necessarily be traumatic. To me, a, a fundamental part of this that I think the UFO community and, and, you know, we always argue for it on our show and it's what we talked about when we were at MUFON and everything else is really, I think, part of the fundamental um, understanding of this has to be how do we cognate as a as a people because people don't people don't think the same ways. You know, I, I often will ask people on the show this question when you have a thought. Right. If, if I tell you to think about a red ball, how does your brain what in your mind's eye, if you even have a mind's eye, right, that's an assumption all of its own. If I tell you to think about a red ball, how are you doing that thought process? What does it feel like or look like in your head? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I kind of covered in my books, our process of belief, you know, what we kind of choose to believe in and rebel. Against. Absolutely. You know, there's psychological, you know, reasonings behind this as well, but ultimately it goes down to, you know, how open-minded are we to possibilities that go against what we're previously taught and how we previously think. Well, I think I think it's important as well to just understand that people have different uh, cognitive methods and functions. Not one brain operates the same way necessarily, and not one thought process operates the same way necessarily. And so I think that it's something that we need to be more open to talking about because, you know, currently the way that your brain thinks is, a very, I mean, it, it obviously is a very personal thing, but it really is not, uh, it's not something that we all share in common. And you don't realize it until you have a weird experience like this, or you have a discussion with somebody that gets into really nitty gritty consciousness stuff. And suddenly you realize, oh my God, that's not a normal way to think. But that's not a normal way of of, of uh, cognating. So, anyways, uh, so you think though that this is a physical phenomena, but that our conscious mind does play some part. So, kind of like in the, I mean, again, in a middle yeah. position, right? Which is a very sensible position yeah, I think to take. A UFO is a physical man machine. It's not a um, so nothing in our head. I think it's something made out of nuts and bolts, you know, uh, materials. But I, I think the key to communication. Um, the key to I'm trying to think, I'm trying to how to word this. I think our consciousness is basically the key to it. Because if you think about it, if you're any abduction or regression cases, it's all takes place and it's all hidden in your consciousness. And I believe that's that's the window. That's how how they get us, quote unquote. You know, they get us through our consciousness because um, just through through, through centuries, it's, we've, we've evolved into this where we are now. Where you know, there's I guess that part of our brain is very you know, if you go back to the Egyptian belief of the third eye and all these powers, many of these windows hold forth there, and you know that we blocked it. You know, we we block the, these abilities through whether it's um, I don't know evolution or just through our own um, you know kind of what we tend to to believe and, and do. You know, for some reason there's that barrier. And you know, like you know, one of the uh, 
recent interviews I did, I interviewed uh, the guy who wrote the book called The Spirit Molecule, uh, Dr. Rick Strassman, who studied uh, the effects of DMT. And you hear, this, you hear these crazy cases, sure. and it's like, I think there's something there. I think that's a window to something, whether it's another dimension, another galaxy, universe. But we're traveling through it, not physically, but through our consciousness. And this is something I brought up in my first book, and it was just an idea. You know, what if when we died, you know, this isn't my idea. Other doctors, uh, Dr. Robert Lanza, he floated this idea too. But, you know, our consciousness stays with us. And then I took that idea, and I said, well, what if our consciousness is our soul's? When we die, when we go to quote unquote heaven, we're really not going to heaven in a biblical sense, but we're, we're traveling to these parts of the galaxy, these parts of the universe that we can't physically get into now. Yeah, man, it's um, I don't know. I just keep I just keep saying I'm just waiting for uh, what's his face. I'm just waiting for Zuckerberg to figure out how to upload an AI, <laughs> you know, upload my brain to a robot, well, and I'll be happy. That's gonna Whatever, happen dude. soon, probably. <laughs> if I can live long enough to see a good Batman movie made with the Riddler and Mad hey, Hatter, I'll be hopefully happy. Hopefully, it's coming soon. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, Jonah Hill. That's Jonah a, Hill for the Riddler. Oh, dude, that'd be so good. Oh my god. Oh my god. So good. Anyways, well, Mike, thank you again so much for coming on, man. It was a it was a real treat. I'm so happy we we're finally able to do this. Um, listeners, again, this was Mike Demonte, uh, Punk Rock at UFOs. Go check it out. Buy the books, read them, check out his Twitter feed, check out his website. Uh, anything else, Mike, you want people to know or hear about? Uh, no, that's it. I just, thanks again for having me on. Like I said, um, you know, uh, I featured you in my book, and I've been looking forward to being on your show. I'm glad we're finally able to make this work. And this is probably one of the, the best podcasts I've done. Uh, so, like, great questions and great discussions. So thank you. Ah. Thanks, man. We, you know, we try. Yeah, man. We got We got to have you on again sometime soon for sure. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe we'll fun. talk. Uh, we'll talk hockey. We'll do a New York Rangers and New York Rangers and Aliens oh, yeah. special. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man. We got maybe that's, that's maybe that's the help we need. The spark we finally need. Right. We'll get we'll get some alien technology going. Oh my god. Oh, now I'm sad. Now I got to spend the rest of my Saturday worrying about the Rangers, my dude. Oh, rough times. All right, sweet. Thank you again, dear listeners, and we will be back next week. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen, our... Web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. Hey Hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.